0: Crystal power Information Whiskey two one five three zero Wind 060 at 5. 060 Mike Juliet, the departure radar contact. Weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka well, County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Contact what is going on
1: everyone? Jim here with the Fly Midwest Podcast, so happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by Richard Spaden, former Commander of the United States Air Force Thunderbirds and Executive Director of AOPA's Air Safety Institute. He'll talk to us all about his time with the Thunderbirds and what they're doing at the Air Safety Institute. And as always, news and events from around the region with some friendly air talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Fly Midwest Podcast.
2: Well, welcome everyone to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I'm Maddie. I'm joined by my co-host, Jim. Jim, say hello.
1: Hello. I'll say we've pushed out a few episodes here in the past couple of weeks, huh?
2: Oh my gosh. We have done so much recording with a lot of fabulous aviation people. But yes, we've done a lot of content.
1: It's been fun pushing out episodes in advance of Oshkosh. They're not all Oshkosh related, but it just seems like we had this push into AirVenture of just a ton of aviation content.
2: I'm pretty sure it was started by us talking to Dick Kupinski, and we got really, really excited, and so he just started banging Right, on Right,
1: right. That may have had <laughs> something to do with it.
2: You can't tell. We're really excited for Oshkosh.
1: We are. Um, funny that you should mention that, because our next episode is going to be the AirVenture Fly-In win
2: Extravaganza Spectacular. That's what
1: it's called. Thank you. I forgot what we called it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next episode. It's our call Extravaganza Spectacular Extraordinaire. There, I added another word to this year. Oh, sorry. There's still room if you're interested in being in that episode, um, but you got to act quickly. This episode will release on the 10th. We are recording the call-in episode on the 11th. So act now, and you too can be on an episode of the Fly was podcast. Did that sound infomercially enough?
2: Oh, it sounds really infomercially.
1: So throughout the week, I've seen a few different Facebook posts of some really neat Air Force history being celebrated.
2: I would love to hear more. Please tell me more.
1: (laughs) I would love to tell you more. Um, So in looking up a little bit more information, I first saw this over Michigan. There are some Facebook posts and some groups about air refueling that was going to be essentially on display across Michigan. Um, And as I looked further, this isn't just happening in Michigan. It's happening all over the Midwest and um, even the country that they are going and kind of showcasing aerial refueling to celebrate 100 years of those types of missions. So I thought that was kind of cool.
2: That's really cool. I saw a post about that, actually. I, thi- I think it was related. It was a uh, um, B-52, at least one of them, maybe two of them, uh, either flying in Wisconsin or up, up in Minnesota, that were it was being refueled by, I think they were KC-135s. Yeah. I could be wrong. I, I but remember, I remember the two. B-52 because that was the cool part.
1: Yeah. And I just saw another <laughs> post cool about part. some A-10s over Iowa. They had some A-10s over... Um, Michigan, doing those refuel missions. So I think that's kind of neat. It, it's a fun way to celebrate that history. Neat. They're going to do those missions yeah. anyways. Um, So I suppose if you go down a little bit lower and put on a show for the folks, you can celebrate your history a little bit. So that's kind of fun.
2: Yeah. People seem to love it. Yeah. I see tankers every day. They fly right over my house into McConnell Air Force Base. I see kc 135s and kc 46s I'm not going to lie
1: to you. I'm a little jealous that you have Air Force aircraft flying over you. So... Those of you that are going to Airventure, because we've talked so much about it and the excitement built up towards that event, we have a little information to share about where you can come hang out with us. Are you excited, Maddie?
2: Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm so excited.
1: <laughs>
2: the excitement is oozing out of my pores.
1: All right. Okay. So we're gonna crash an event that's already occurring. Um, there is a YouTube creator meetup that's happening at Airventure. That's gonna be at stage nine on Monday between two thirty and four. So I think we're going to plan on just attending that event just to watch the YouTubers that are there, make fun of Brian Turner a little bit, maybe heckle him from the crowd, but then meet up with all of you um, afterwards. So you can look for us in our bright turquoise Flying Midwest podcast t-shirts. And if he shows up, the Badger Pilot will be wearing a bright pink one, not dissimilar to what the air traffic controllers wear, except for it has our logo all over it. So bright pink (laughs) Flying Midwest podcast t-shirt for Andrew. That could be fun.
2: I think that could be very fun. If anything, it'll be fun because airplanes are involved.
1: Well, right. And I think in and of itself, it'll be fun to watch these uh, YouTubers talk about their content, how they come up with things, um, for us to stock them a little bit for possible future guests (laughs) and and meet our um, listeners as well. So come check out the event that we're going to crash.
2: Although it is not set in stone yet, it is a potential possibility that Jim and I may or may not...
1: If the stars align, it's the star's
2: line and Mercury is in Gatorade and all that good stuff. <laughs> it, <laughs> we don't have it set in stone yet as of the recording of this podcast. However, Trevor, Jim and I are going to try to all make it on the Saturday before Oshkosh at the Flying Cloud Air Show at Flying Cloud Airport. That's Fox.charlie Mike at uh, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So if you are around. And or if you're planning on going to the show, take a look out for us. We'll probably be wearing merch and being nerds. So for sure. The second part. Yes. Oh, yeah. And this will be the first
1: time to bring all three of us together in public, though. Trevor will technically be working with the Air Force. I'm sure they won't mind if like we throw a Flying Midbuff podcast T-shirt on him and have him rep (laughs) podcasts instead of the Air Force. They won't care. It'll be fine. Do we have hats? We do. Get him a
2: hat and just slap the hat on.
1: <laughs> I don't know how the Air I mean, I know he couldn't wear it for long. <laughs> huh? Long enough for us to take a picture. Um, I hope. Let's see what happens. Come out and uh check out that event. It is a high likelihood that we will make it out there. We'll post some stuff on our social media when that gets closer to confirm the confirmation of our attendance.
2: Well, you know the super guppies come into Oshkosh, right? Of
1: course I do. How would I not know that? I don't it's Jeez. not just the super. Company. Oh my gosh! I'm. It's what's inside. <laughs> I'm serious. Yes, I know it sounded like a I smart know. ass comment, but all the NASA stuff they're gonna have inside of that. Oh come on.
2: Oh my gosh! I'm so I'm so excited for all of it. All right, Jim. I reckon it may or may but not
1: be time for the news. It totally is time for the news. I'll get us started. We will head on over to the Dakotas, South Dakota specifically. Life Flight helicopters are going to be opening a new base in Western South Dakota. Life Flight is a helicopter operation operated by Air Methods, which is a fairly common um, aeromedical helicopter service. They'll be opening a new base effective today, actually, July 7th, in Hot Springs, South Dakota. So that will be crewed to provide air support to South Dakota for EMS and life flight operations. They'll operate a shiny new Bell 407 helicopter. So Hot Springs did have a helicopter base up until 2019 when that base closed. Since then, Rapid City has been the only medical helicopter service for Western South Dakota. So this is a welcome addition to that area. So Air Methods Senior Vice President Tony Raymond had said, the strategic location of this space is not a coincidence. Hot Springs is a place of breathtaking landscape. However, it's also a region that presents unique challenges when it comes to accessing urgent medical care. The new Air Medical Base will bridge that gap and ensure air medical critical care can swiftly reach those in need.
2: So, boogieing on down to Kansas, yeah, there is a larger flight school in Kansas City called Kilo Charlie Aviation, and they just signed on for 30 brand new Technum trainers. Three zero. Three zero thirty. Ooh. So, on the 4th, Technum announced that it had secured a deal with the flight school. For a total of 30 training aircraft distributed out over the next four years, the flight school was founded in 2020 by Robert Redfro and Drew Konasek, and they currently have 96 students. 15 aircraft have already been delivered, including one P um two thousand. I want to call it P two thousand six T twin engine four seat aircraft. Two more of these twins are scheduled for delivery. Kilo Charlie also will receive 12 P Mentor piston singles as part of their first phase. So they're getting some in quarter four of this year, um, and then some next year as well. Um, so these are two-place aircraft that are fully IFR capable and are compliant with the latest FAA requirements. I've never flown a Technum. Have you flown a Technum, Jim? I have not. I've seen them. I think they look kind of cool. I would like to travel. Tootling up to, well, I guess over to Salina. Salina Airport has been awarded a $3.3 million State of Kansas Aviation Opportunity and Funded Training grant. So we talked about this. I think it was last episode. The Aloft program it has been giving out grants for um, places in Kansas, and Salina Airport is one of those places. So um, these funds will be used to accelerate the growth of the authority's aviation innovation and maintenance center of excellence, established to meet the community's growing needs to recruit and train aviation maintenance workers. So if you don't know, um, Salina is home to the Kansas Kansas State Flight School. So they've got a lot of aircraft there. It is also home to many military aircraft and also sees a heavy general aviation usage. This grant funding was made possible by cooperative efforts of Salina and Salina County Economic Development Team. Um, So this included the city of Salinas, uh, I want to say Saline County, Salina area, Chamber of Commerce, Salina Community Economic Development Organization, Key State Salina, and Kansas Wesleyan University, which is also another university that's up there. This will be used to grow that um, AIM apprenticeship program to address the skilled worker shortage because that is actually hindering the growth and competitiveness of the aviation maintenance industry at Salina. So this grant is specifically for aviation maintenance. It's not necessarily for the airport um, itself, but it will definitely include the airport in some ways, and it will, I think, allow to help it to grow. And there's a lot of potential there um, for the industry. So so with the current Salina tenants, uh, One Vision Aviation, Shilling Aviation Services, not Affiliated with Jim. Um, That's what Garmin, you think. Garmin, K-State Salina. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Garmin, K-State Salina, AvFlight Salina, and SkyWest. So hopefully there will be plenty of opportunity for um, apprenticeships to happen within these companies. And I think it will be very cool to see the the breadth of opportunity there is.
1: What's the name of the Schilling thing? Schilling Aviation Services. It's spelled
2: oh. like your last name.
1: Okay. Do they, is that like a big company that could... Just hire me and just <laughs> like a legacy hire. Like, I don't know that I'm related at all, but
2: you missed out Find out.
1: No. The worst I could say is no. Sorry. That is true. You can continue.
2: The goal is to introduce aviation maintenance career opportunities to 150 individuals per year. The initial training will enable these individuals to advance either apprenticeship opportunities or role related programs at either K-State Salina or Salina Area Technical College. If he could hire even half that many in a year, Jim Sponder, one vision president and CEO, he said he would be, quote, tickled pink. That is an actual quote. I think that's excellent. He also thinks the growth is going to be very helpful for the community.
1: so I didn't realize it was pronounced Salina. I've been pronouncing it Salina.
2: It that's what it should be. But we're in Kansas and everybody pronounces everything wrong.
1: Do the people in Arkansas pronounce Arkansas wrong then? Or is it Arkansas? Maybe we you call are. call it
2: Arkansas City and our can- the Arkansas River.
1: So the people so, in that other state are wrong. Yeah.
2: Arkansas City is in Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is Arkansas. Or are you guys living. so stupid. I think
1: maybe you guys are living in Kansas and you just don't want to admit it.
2: Honestly? It's Kansas yeah, and you
1: pronounce it wrong, just like it's Selena. Kansas. Selena, Kansas.
2: <laughs> Sounds like a country singer.
1: Maybe. Let's cruise on over uh-huh. to Greenwood, Indiana. Officials there are in the first phase of a new aeronautical center of technology. At the Indy South Greenwood Airport, Um, a facility was opened there that is uh, geared towards middle school and high school students and allows them a practical application of the STEM disciplines. The program hopes to help students earn their private pilot certificate before they can graduate high school. They can also earn their unmanned aircraft system pilot certificate, if that's your thing. Uh, Learn about rocketry, um, the launch systems involved with that, as well as some apprenticeship in industrial 3D Uh, The real reason the center was created was to help those students get involved in an industry that can be expensive to start in, um, but there's ongoing shortages of pilots and mechanics within the aviation field, so helping to build up interest in those fields is really important. Their new building is a result of about $500,000 in investments from private donations. They're still in need of about $75,000 to finish off the second floor of the building. That will include more classrooms and technology space. Sounds like some cool programs, a little ways to go as far as some donations to get that completely up and rolling, but a good start all the same.
2: Time to go to our beloved state of Ohio, where state lawmakers are looking into a bill that would make the 1905 Wright Flyer 3 Ohio State airplane, which is going to cause many an uproar with North Carolina. (laughs) Which, funnily enough, they still fight about this, which is hilarious. It's been over 100 years, and they still can't agree. North Carolina's first in flight, and then Ohio is the birthplace of aviation, I think. Anyway. It's like the
0: Hatfield-McCoy's
1: then.
2: (laughs) It truly is. It's ridiculous. So uh, the aircraft, as I'm sure most of us know, um, is the world's first airplane that was capable of a long, sustained, maneuverable flight. It was called the First Practical Flying Machine, originating from Dayton, Ohio. And history buffs say it paved the way for the world's global aviation industry we know, we know today. Um, the Wright Flyer is the only aircraft designated as a national historic landmark, says a DPE from the region. I don't know why in just the world i so about this. I, I kid you freaking not. That's so funny. Hey,
1: could someone call over to the FISDO? We just want to get no. someone to talk to. If you could like hook us up with a DPE, that'd be pretty cool.
2: That is so funny. And that in quote, history buffs. They are cited many, many times.
1: Wait, wait. So she's a DPE and a history buff?
2: No, 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 no. Or... no. there's the DPE and then there's history buffs.
1: Okay. That's a real
2: history buffs say. So
1: DPE is a real title, history buff is not. Correct. Okay. <laughs>
2: Well, they're not specifics. Uh, The senator, who is co-sponsoring this legislation, told lawmakers that Ohio has led the nation on an aviation industrial revolution because of the Wright Flyer. He says, while already recognized nationally, the technology they developed here is worthy of state recognition. The plane has been restored and is currently on display at the Wright Brothers Aviation Center in Dayton. If Kansas gets on board with this, it's going to be very, very interesting because lots of planes came from Kansas. Let's we be honest, there's see.
1: there's a lot of states that have a lot of state this or state that that is pretty pointless. Um, given that this is an aviation podcast, I fully support a state airplane over some of that state other things that exist.
2: Oh, absolutely. I just don't know how it would work reasonably. I, I'm interested to see. Washington better be the 747 or I'll throw hands.
1: Let's see if I can find different state this or that for Wisconsin. Then I can make fun of the concept and I can make fun of Wisconsin at the same time. I
2: mean, there are funny things that are like normal, like state state
1: sport or whatever like for
2: Maryland yeah that's normal yeah that's I mean that's that's what I'm saying there's like a state food uh, Maryland state um, uh, sport is jousting in case you weren't aware of that
1: I wasn't aware all right let's click on this let's see where this what rabbit hole I go down to with this
2: here are you real Minnesotan what's the uh, Minnesota state flower
1: it's Selene slipper okay good Wisconsin state sport is nothing I think that they aren't allowed to write drinking beer.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Jim
1: for the hey, win. That isn't like
2: <laughs> that. That's a blooper. If I've heard. Oh, of- it's
1: going right in the episode. Forget bloopers. <laughs>
2: oh, okay.
1: There's the state nicknames. Oh, really? Well, just for Wisconsin, it's Badger State, but Badger Pilot already knew that. Dairy uh-huh. State, America's Dairyland, the Cheese State. I think that's just a play on America's Dairyland, but then America's Dairyland is a play on... Dairy state but it's also the copper the state Dairy i did not know that it was the copper state
2: ah, why are we looking up wisconsin
1: when wisconsin doesn't matter um me? it originally started as a way for me to make fun of wisconsin and now i've just kind of gone down a rabbit hole so i don't know why you didn't look at minnesota because uh, again i told you i wanted to make fun of wisconsin let's get away from <laughs> wisconsin said oh, no. every minnesota never
2: <laughs> true
1: back to the episode
2: so this has been a bit of fun
1: mostly shenanigans on my part
2: Mostly shenanigans (laughs) and a little bit of fun. Okay, Jim, do you mind leading us through the events?
1: I don't mind terribly. I could certainly do it.
2: Okay, well, you're doing it, so (laughs) have fun.
1: Into the events we go. We've got a few events to talk about, so let's get right into it. Next weekend, July 15th and 16th, in Duluth, Minnesota, the Duluth Air Show. In case you missed us, talk about this one a few weeks ago, our very own Trevor will be there with the C-130 from the 133rd Airlift Wing, with the Minnesota Air National Guard, in addition to some other great performers like the United States Navy Blue Angels. More information for that event, DuluthAirShow.com. If you're over in Michigan on July 16th from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., you can check out the Iosco County Airport in East Tawas, Michigan, for their pancake breakfast. They'll have members of the local fire department, State Patrol K-9, U.S. Forest Service, and they've invited a U.S. Coast Guard helicopter to explain their mission on the Great Lakes. More information on their Facebook event invite in the show notes. And as we head to Oshkosh, we'll tell you about two chances to meet the members of the Flying Midwest podcast crew. On July 22nd, we will all be at Air Expo 2023, put on by Wings of the North. That event will take place at the Flying Cloud Airport in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Tickets for that event are $25 online for adults, $5 for kids, and tickets to the gate are $30 for adults and $5 for kids 6 to 17. They will have a ton of aircraft on display, from Corsairs to TBM Avengers, A-10s, C-130s, and Black Hawk helicopters. More info on the event itself at WOTN.org. And watch our social media for more information on the meetup at that event. And on the first official day of Oshkosh, Monday, July 24th, we will be at Stage 9 following the YouTuber AirVenture meet and greet. That event will go from 2.30 until 4, and we will hang out afterwards to meet some of our listeners. It's also an excellent chance to check out all of your favorite aviation YouTubers. More information on all of those meet and greet opportunities will be on our social media sites as we get closer to the big events. And finally, Sunday, July 9th at the Springfield Municipal Airport in Springfield, Minnesota. They will host their fly-in cruising events where you can check out airplanes, classic cars, and motorcycles, pancakes, sausage, fruit, milk, juice, and coffee on hand. And each PIC gets a free breakfast. Everyone else is $10 for adults, children ages 5 to 12 are $5, and children 4 and under are free. So check out that event at airport designator Delta 42 from 8 a.m. until 12 p.m. And that will do it for our events. So plenty of events to go check out around the region, including the ones where we may or may not make a presence. And we'll confirm that in our social media. So keep an eye on that to find out if we will in fact be um, attending the Flying Cloud event. But it's
2: looking pretty good. Do we tell the people this is the first time we've ever met? That'll be the first time we've ever met together.
1: You know what? Yeah, I think we should. This will be the first time not just the three of us have been at an event together. This will be the first time the three of us have been together. Um, thanks to the world of COVID, we've been able to do all of this remotely and not have to see each other in person.
2: And then Maddie moved to mess Things.
1: Thanks a lot, Maddie. Another rabbit hole has been explored. And now as we climb out of that, we need to talk to you about some ways for us to um, pay for this little podcast. And now a word from our affiliates. Let's talk about Lightspeed Aviation and their brand of headsets. So we've talked the last couple episodes about their Delta Zulu headset. But if you're a new student pilot or just getting into AR headsets, you may be looking for something a little lighter in the pocketbook. Well, check out the Lightspeed Sierras. I've been flying with the Sierra for the past decade and they are a phenomenal headset. They've still got great active noise canceling, full Bluetooth integration, cell phone and music connection abilities, and comm priority so that you never miss a radio call. And when you're ready for that Zulu 3 or the Delta Zulu, they've got a train-up program where you can earn up to $400 training credit towards the latest in aviation headset technology. So if you're in the market for that new Lightspeed headset, check out our affiliate link right down in the show notes. So summer is officially here, and the sun is beating down on us in the aircraft and on the flight line. Picking the right sunglasses for when you fly can be really important. This is where Flying Eyes Optics comes in. If you've been flying around with those gas station sunglasses, you have definitely felt the pressure from your headset pushing those into the side of your head, which can make for a really uncomfortable flight. Flying Eyes was engineered by pilots for pilots. Their extremely lightweight patent and material allows these temples to conform to your head instead of curving around your ears, giving you a better fit and seal for your headset. So if you need a new set of sunglasses before Oshkosh or any of those summer events or your summer flying, head on over to our affiliate link and use our coupon code for 10% off. That coupon code is flyingmidwest 10 and that code, and the link will be down in our show notes. We are happy to once again be part of the SimVenture experience, and to talk about that, we have Kevin from PilotEdge.
3: Hey Jim, thanks a lot. Just real quick, Sim Venture 2023 is coming up again. If you haven't heard of it, it's basically a virtual Oshkosh. If you have a flight simulator at your house or even at your flight school and you want to get them involved, um, you can actually fly into Oshkosh just about a week and a half ahead of Air Venture. This is a great way for those pilots who are actually flying to Air Venture to prepare ahead of time. Now here's the kicker: we have the actual Oshkosh air traffic controllers. Yes, the ones who are going to be in the tower down at fisk down next to the runways the actual week of air venture we have a handful of them volunteering to be the controllers during sim venture so it will be realistic it will feel real it'll sound real and you will rock your wings you'll be seen by the controllers and everyone else last week we had over 2100 arrivals at uh at sim venture we look forward to even top of that number this year
1: so what are the dates again for those that aren't familiar
3: July 13th through 16th. It's a Thursday through Sunday. We'll run about three to four hours every day. The exact times of that can be found at pilotedge.net slash SimVenture.
1: Well, we hope you have a successful event again this year, and best of luck with SimVenture 2023.
3: Thanks, Jim. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people out there.
1: Boy, do we have an exciting episode coming up for all of you. This is one that we've been hyping up a bit for a while, and was super fun for us to record we got a chance to sit down with the one and only Richard McSpadden. Richard McSpadden is of the Thunderbirds fame. He was a commander of the United States Air Force Thunderbirds and had a prestigious career flying F-15s with the United States Air Force. Upon his retirement, he went into private business and ultimately wound up with the Air Safety Institute with AOPA, where today he hosts their podcasts as well as produces a number of videos and content uh, for the Air Safety Institute, so we are super excited to welcome Mr. Richard McSpadden to the Flying Midwest Podcast. Jim, happy to be
4: here. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad we finally got this together. It's
1: been a long time coming, and we're really excited to have you here. So nice to meet Maddie. She is lovely.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Aww. <laughs>
2: It is lovely to be here with the both of you.
1: So I'm going to get this anecdote out of the way. I'm in super nerd mode right now uh, because when I was stationed at Nellis, I watched you fly as your time as the commander of the Thunderbirds. And um, to be able to come full circle and have a conversation with you now is just really great to me. That's awesome. What
4: were you doing in Las Vegas at that at that time frame?
1: I was uh, stationed with the 99th Security Forces Squadron.
4: Okay, so yep.
1: I was stationed in Ellis for four years, and then uh, at the completion of my enlistment, I came back to Minnesota and got the law enforcement here. So,
4: oh well, thank you for your service as a first responder. What you guys do this; I appreciate a- that.
1: Thank you. I actually have a coin from you that sits on my display at my desk, that kind of is a, a centerpiece of my display. So,
4: oh, that's awesome. Now, which coin is it? Because we had a few. Is it the diamond? The delta? Is it the?
1: I want to say. I Wanna say it was the diamond. Now I don't have it in front of me so I can't okay. just look at it. But yeah, yeah. Um I was directing traffic for something and I must have caught your attention. So I got a coin for me that sits on my desk. So. Oh,
4: awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. It's fun to go for every now and then this happens, you know, like I'll meet somebody yeah. that we did an enlistment ceremony for them because we used to do those before every show. And every now and then sure. I'll run into somebody that says, hey, uh, you enlisted me, at, you know, So and en- re-enlisted me usually at so-and-so air show or whatever. Those are always fun, fun connections.
1: So I'm going to jump into our fast five questions if you're ready to go.
4: All right, let's do it.
1: All right. Question number one, of all the aircraft that you've flown, what is your favorite?
4: Uh, the F-15, because it was... Such a dominant combat performer. There was nothing in the skies that really could match the F-15. It was durable. It took me all over the world flying in that thing and took great care of me. And its combat record is something like 105 to nothing. It's never been defeated (laughs) in combat. It completely redefined what it meant to establish air supremacy.
1: That's a great answer. Oh, yeah. All right. The next question we have for you. What was your favorite air show venue when you performed with the Thunderbirds?
4: Oh man, it would have to be one of the ones over the water. Um, The Chicago uh, Air Show, the Chicago Chicago Air and Sea Show, is always a lot of fun. Fort Lauderdale was always a lot of fun. The one that was the most emotional was Cheyenne, Wyoming, because in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that's the only show the Thunderbirds have done continuously every year in their existence since they started. Oh wow! Yeah,
1: wow! That's going to have a special spot for you then.
4: Yeah, very cool. It's a small show, relatively speaking. But it's so much fun and the people are great and a lot of history there for us. So, yeah. Now, the hard part of that is you exclude a bunch of air shows that, that I loved and the people I loved. But it's hard to top Chicago and Fort Lauderdale.
1: Chicago is one I want to get to. Watching the air show over the water is kind of on my list of things I'd like to do. So,
4: Yeah. I, do we have time for a funny story? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. over the Chicago air and show, one time it was, we were doing our practice show, which is on a Friday – And the way that show is laid out, you go up and down the water and then you come off the water and reposition on your run to the north. And when you reposition, you go out over there. And so we're doing this show. And every time the solos come in from the north, they're late. You know, they would call like late 10 or or late uh, five or something. And finally, I'm like, guys, what's going on over there to the north? They said, oh, the Chicago Cubs are playing a game and we're running overhead Chicago uh, Stadium there, uh, Wrigley Field. So they're diverting just a little bit from their typical run-in so they can go over the field. That night, we go out to eat (laughs) and see a bunch of uh, Major League umpires sitting at a table. And we're in all our Thunderbird gear, and they come over and they go, hey, were you the guys who were coming to Wrigley? Yeah, that was us there. Like, oh, that was so awesome. We stopped play. The crowd was loving it. And so – (laughs) <laughs> things Like that, but you know, never make the light of day that just made that job so much fun.
1: That is that's delightful. Awesome. I wouldn't mind watching the Thunderbirds in the middle of a baseball game. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, too. Yeah. I'm
4: sitting there. You know, I love baseball, so watching the Cubs having a beer and a few jets flying overhead. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, of course, they yeah. told me that. Then the next time I repositioned out to the north, I brought the uh, diamond overhead, Wrigley Field. So we just made it oh.
1: our, our repositioning. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. That's great. All right, next question for you. Favorite aviation movie?
4: Oh, favorite aviation movie. That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I have to tell you, I really liked the Top Gun movies. Both of them. I mean, there's some better, you know, there's 12 O'Clock High and a couple others that you know go way back in the history. But, um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the Top Gun movies. It's kind of my era of, of fighters flying in that generation, you know, so... People always ask, you know, is it very real? Uh, no, but that's not the point. <laughs>
1: just, just <laughs> the <movie. laughs>
4: yeah.
1: yeah. It doesn't need to be real. It just needs to be entertaining, right?
4: Yeah. And that whole thing about close you know, to real, they had to dive down into the crater and, you know, pull out this tingy pull out and all. And they're like, is that the way you do it? No, not in a million years. You would never do it. <laughs> but <laughs> it was fun, you know. Uh, and I yeah, still thought of to watch. Tom Cruise is quite the pilot in real life. You know, he owns a P fifty one. Yeah. He's got some chops.
1: Yeah. That's his plane in the movie, isn't it? The P fifty one.
4: Yeah, I think it is. Yeah.
1: It is. Yeah. I read that somewhere. That's yes. I didn't realize it at first, but I'm like, yeah, he's you're right. He's got quite the chops himself.
4: So somebody was telling me a story. That, that when he went down and bought that airplane, he bought it somewhere in Florida or something. He was flying it back to California and he stopped in an FBO somewhere, I can't remember, but he he pulls up in his Mustang and he stops and there's some guys sitting in the FBO, you know, just fueling up, waiting to go out. And this guy starts walking in towards him and one of the guys is going, that kind of looks like Tom Cruise. And this is before anybody knew he had a P-51. And sure enough, it's Cruise and he's, they said, he just walks in the FBO and he's like, hey, what's going on guys? Anybody check the weather out West? You know, he just starts talking like a pilot talks, you know, like,
1: <laughs> the
4: <weather> <laughs> and they're all just going,
1: yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could kind not of, imagine just of... seeing FBO and Tom Cruise walks in and, hey, that was cool, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. What is a story. Is this a new movie? Like... <laughs> yeah. So two questions left. Favorite air show memory?
4: Oh, my gosh. Um, there were so many good air show memories. The Chicago one for sure was a, was a great air show. We had a great air show in Alaska at Anchorage. Uh, what is it? Elmendorf there. But we were yeah. trying to, the years I was there, we really wanted to fly a really crisp air show, very fast paced. So the deconfliction between the solos coming across and the diamond and interacting that show was actually one of the more challenging things to do. And the fastest we were trying to do a 30-minute show, from the time we took off to the time we landed, 30 minutes, we could do about 32. And I think the fastest we ever got nice, cool air at Anchorage uh, is we got down to 31 minutes at one time, I think. So that one really sticks out to me as we really. A really fun air show.
1: Very cool. All right. Our last question and my personal favor. If you could meet anyone in aviation dead or alive and have a conversation with them, who would it be?
4: Man, I've met so many people in aviation. You know, I met, uh, I got to meet Chuck Davy once. I got to meet Bob Hume a couple of different times. I think I'd like to meet Robin Olds, honestly. Um, Olds, oh. Yeah. After reading his book, um, Fighter Pilot, and sort of growing up in the era that was immediately after him. And he was such a figure, an, an iconic uh, figure, that uh, now, I, would, I, would enjoy, I would enjoy a conversation with him. And there's a guy named Richard Drury that wrote a book called My Secret War. It was about flying an A-1 Skyraider, And it was really influential in me deciding to become a pilot. I read that book when I was in college. And I'd like to meet him. And then Richard Bach, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull a gift of wings. I, I read every book he wrote. Uh, I would love to meet him sometime. Wonderful.
1: Well, thanks for Be playing along with our fast five questions.
4: Yeah, I don't think I met your fast criteria, but you know, hey, I'm, I'm a super good guy. <laughs> so I don't do anything fast anymore.
2: <laughs> well, take slow and steady. That's where that, also that works exactly.
1: That's a great way to put it. So, tell us a little bit about your aviation background.
4: My mom gave my dad a uh, gift that was a flight lesson. When he was in his early 40s, I was in high school, college at the time, and my dad was a really hardworking, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of guy. And I had never in my life seen anything so captivating and seen him express so much joy in anything. And I thought, wow, if that can excite my dad so much, you know, that that looks like a lot of fun. So I started it, and then, you know, I did back in uh, that day, we did a lot more of that than I see these days where we would trade our cheap labor for flight hours. So we would sweep hangers or wash airplanes or gas them up or whatever. And in return, they would give you flight hours, local FBOs. And so I did that for quite a while. And then somewhere in there, my dad is the one that said, hey, you know what? I bet you would really enjoy uh, flying for the Air Force. And so I, I set that goal and you know, it worked out beyond my wildest dreams really. But I flew GA. Throughout my time in the Air Force, my brother and my dad always had GA airplanes, usually multiple, and I would go home, and my brother now is a captain for UPS, at flies a 747-8, and I would go home and just get rebooted in GA, and fly with them a lot, get my tailwheel endorsement, all those things, so i get my hand in GA off about my military.
1: All right. So the next question, we talked a bit about um, getting the Air Force and aviation. How do you get to a point where you're working through a selection process and become the commander of the Thunderbirds?
4: Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a pretty long process, as you might imagine. I want to say from the time I applied until the time I was selected was about a year. Um, okay, And it's it's really pretty um, typical of the Air Force every The way the team operates is they have 12 uh, officers on the team and six pilots and half of those rotate out each year for continuity of the squadron and for continuity of the flight demonstration you'll rotate out three of the pilots and rotate you know every year and so every other year they're looking to hire a new commander and commander and flight leader so you run the organization as a squadron commander and then you also lead the flight demonstration which makes it just a fabulous job because either one of those by themselves is a fantastic job now you combine them sure it's a dream job and um so uh the message came out about you know we're looking for a new commander and if you meet these qualifications submit an application package and It was extensive. I I bet it took me a month to put together the package. And Uh, I really didn't think I had a a shot at it. Um, And and in fact, I really wasn't going to apply. But then I decided, uh, you know, come on, you you might as well try, right? Like, when did you reach that point in life where you weren't even willing to try for something that you would really enjoy doing? So I applied. Had a great boss at the time. And he said, uh, hey, just be realistic about this, Richard, because... Uh, I don't really know anybody, you know, and you don't know anybody. And these things are very political. You know, this is a pretty, pretty high visibility. <laughs> sure. position. They're usually related to a senator, a chief of staff, or, you know, there's some, they've got a sponsor in the Air Force or something. I said, yeah, I, I get it. That's fine. Well, it just worked out that in this particular year, you know, they were really looking for somebody that had a lot of fighter time, a lot of uh, time leading in fighters, and I was the only uh, F-15 pilot that had made the down select. So initially, they brought something like 12 of us out or something like that on a visit. And then uh, from there, they they called it down. So you, you go on a weekend visit with a the team. They take all the applications and they take the top 10, 12, whatever. And then you go out and visit with the team and do some interviews with the team and the local com- and the current commander. And then based on that, they whinny it down again and they take the four or five and they invite them out to Nellis. And then you do basically more interviews and a flyoff. And I thought, well, I don't think this is very competitive because I've never flown the F-16. And so I sure. mentioned to one of the guys, I'm like, oh, I've never flown the F-16. And the guy goes, trust me, yeah, yeah, that won't be your issue. You'll, you'll This whole side stick thing, you're going to get that down in about five minutes. And he was right. You know, they sit you in the airplane and you kind of get the side stick and you're a little bit wobbly for just a few minutes, but very quickly you're like, oh, I, I got it. It's very intuitive. Uh, and he was uh, exactly right. That was just like a non-issue. Sure. And then from there, uh, I think they made one more cut down to maybe two or three, I don't remember, another round of interviews with, you know, all the way up to, at that time, the four-star running uh, Air Combat Command. And then eventually the, uh, but in true Air Force form, By the time they had sort of narrowed it down to where there were like four or five of us, we got to be, we didn't know each other before, but we got to become really good friends. And so it sort of all made a pact like, hey, we all know how the Air Force's bureaucracy and how this thing's going to work. But here's the deal whoever one of us that gets selected, you got to call the rest of us first. So we get the deal before, you know, we get the whole formal notification, right? Well, so uh, the guys called me up, and they said, hey, we all got uh, notified to go to, uh, to Langley. Uh, and I'm like, well, I didn't get the notification. They're like, oh, sorry, dude. You probably, you know, you probably didn't make the cut. Yeah, I probably didn't. Thanks, guys. You know, i love meeting you. Best of luck to whoever gets selected. Well, then I get a call on like a, a Saturday morning, and it's the um, general. He's a, uh, he's a four-star general jumper. It's his, uh, it's his exec. And she says, hey. Spat. Here is my call site. She goes. I'm so sorry. We forgot to call you, but you're supposed to be here Monday morning for an interview with uh, with General Jumper. Is your schedule free on Monday morning? Darn right, my schedule's free. So I went <laughs> to interview with, uh, with General Jumper, and um, and so the way the notification came down was my boss was a great guy at the time. Uh, he sets up a little prank, and so he calls me into his office, and I had been working this operational unit. Uh, that uh, had been uh, struggling before I came over. And um, so, anyway, we were working through some issues. And he, he brings me into his office. And uh, in the office is him and the 06 and the general in charge of the base. And they're they very somber looks on their face. And uh, my boss starts out by saying, Hey, Spad bad. Uh, it's become apparent to us that we're going to need a new operations officer for the first squad, which is that that was my job, the guy that runs operations. And I'm like, oh my God, this is how it happens. This is how you get fired. And so I'm thinking, are you going to fire me? And um, so I'm just kind of a little stunned. And finally, I think it's the general that speaks up and he goes, Yeah, we're going to need an operation, a new operations officer, because you've been selected as Thunderbird One. And so it took me a little bit because I- I'm thinking I'm going to get fired. My career's over, right? To right i have to go lead the Thunderbird. So I, I had a little shift in uh, in perspective there. That was kind of a funny prank that uh, that they played on me, and it was um, pretty
1: good. So that assignment is two years, you said, right?
4: Yeah, it's two years. It's always two years unless there's something unusual. Every now and then a pilot is moved off the team for a bunch of different reasons. Most of the time it's medical or family-related or something like that. Um, and every now and then they'll ask a pilot to extend a third year. In fact, my first year on the team, we had a slot pilot that we were extending a third year. But that's that is really um, a heavy ask of someone because on that team you're traveling all over the place, you're gone a lot, and even when you're home, you're it's an intense operation. So it's it's a big ask of the family. And a third year is, is not something we took
3: lightly. Sure,
2: you mentioned that you know air show life is very demanding. You know, asking a third year out of a pilot is a lot. Could you elaborate a little bit on how the circuit was like for you, like air show life? How was that? Yeah.
4: The typical week was, well, when you got selected for the team, uh, you had to go, if you didn't have any F-16 time or you were new to it, you had to go through a, about a six-week, two-month transition course, which was pretty intense because they had to get you to Nellis, which is where outside of Las Vegas, where the team is based by 1st of November. And then you go into training season, and training season is intense. You're flying three times a day, five days a week at least, sometimes six days a week, and you're learning this whole new thing. You're an experienced, you know, pilot, but you've never done anything like this before. And so the training season is really intense. When you come out of training season, you go on the road, it's actually a little bit of a relief because the cadence slows down a little bit. But you leave on Thursday, and you arrive over a show site and do some maneuvers and check out your maps and do visual references. On Friday, you would get up and go to some kind of a public relations event—a high school or elementary school, or you know, some some kind of elderly home or something. And then Friday afternoon, you would fly to your practice show. Friday night would be a party or, a, or a social. Saturday morning was as the commander. That time was really valuable to me because it was time that usually there was nothing going on, and I would do. Things like the budget for the squadron or HR issues or, you know, what all the stuff it took to run the squadron as a squadron commander. I always did that on Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon was the air show. Saturday night, air show party. Sunday air show. Sunday night, usually either fly home or Sunday night would be off. And then Monday, you'd fly home. Tuesday, you'd fly a practice show. Wednesday was your day off. And then Thursday, you'd do it all over again. We never went more than two days without flying the profile. And if we did, we would spread it out, and widen up a little bit.
1: Well, that's interesting, the widening out part. I wouldn't have thought of that.
4: Yeah, there's different formations you can fly in different proximities. So it's your very tightest, which is the close formation. You're flying in some formations, some maneuvers, maybe 18 inches apart or something like that. But those are, you know, in the maneuvers that are that are very predictable. And then if the weather gets rough or if somebody's having a bad day or, or if I'm having a bad day. You know, anybody in the formation can call loosen it up, and to loosen it up, we'd spread it out by about a foot, maybe move to that two and a half, three feet uh, spacing, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it but it actually is a lot. It it actually gives you a lot more breathing room on the wing. Um, sure. And so we would, you know, we we weren't we did not hesitate to uh, to to move it out to loosen it up in eighty two for any number of reasons, and most of the time, unless you had a really discerning eye. The people on the
0: it.
2: that's cool. I was wondering how that worked because so I've always seen like videos of the really tight formations, and I'm like, what happens if you get a little turbulence mm. or like you screw up a little bit? What happens?
1: Yeah, like you guys have Indeed.
2: like it's been a while since I've heard anything negative about like a safety issue or anything. So I assume you had something in that regard, but it's cool that you guys have that plan.
4: Yeah, and you you've got some built in buffer there, even as tight as that formation is. Um, And what you learn very quickly in the leadership role is your job is, you know, all the people that fly the wing, they never look forward. They look exclusively off either your aircraft or the aircraft next to you. And so you learn very quickly that you have a ladder of priorities. first is you got to do whatever it takes to keep the formation safe, and then you've got to be uh, predictable, and then you've got to be smooth, and then you work on your precision in that order. Now, eventually, you got to get to the precision, or else you have no business leading thunderbirds around. But you can never sure. forget that that's important. And if you're if you're predictable, um, if the wingman can predict what's happening next and where you're going, uh, it's amazing the kind of things that they can keep a tight formation. They 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 really are just incredible in their in their ability to do that and their skills of concentration.
1: Well, I'm sure that I mean we have, and probably our listeners have two of it. I've heard some of the comms that the Thunderbirds do and just the cadence of it all. I have to imagine communication is a huge part of what you do as well.
0: Yep,
4: you're right. Most people probably heard that. The the lead is constantly talking to the, uh, to the pilots on the wing. And that's just, again, that whole predictability uh, piece of it. So um, letting them know before you increase power or start a turn or stop a turn or whatever. And you fly that formation in that profile so many times they can anticipate it anyway and they can anticipate by the tone of your voice the cadence of your voice whether or not you're having a good day at all yeah they can it's amazing the things they could pick up
1: yeah imagine flying that closely together and and being not just physically but um just as a group being a close-knit group um yeah you probably could pick up on just the tone of voice that maybe the boss is a little off today yeah Is there anything you found particularly challenging with that assignment?
4: Um, Yeah, the challenge is is, um, the cadence, you know, the pace of operations that uh, you're flying, um, you know, to make sure that you stay rested and the team stays rested uh, in spite of that uh, pace is challenging. Uh, The profile itself to fly and to fly it precisely where, you know, we, we really took it, it was important to us that we were representing the power, pride, and precision of the U.S. Air Force, and so everything we did we thought was a reflection of that. And the teams I was on the two years, you know, we took that really seriously. And so to fly those maneuvers, get the kind of precision that our colleagues were using to drop, you know, laser-guided bombs or to go in uh, at this time over either Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran or somewhere. Yeah we felt like we had to reflect the kind of stuff that they were doing to achieve that mission and the stuff that we were doing. And that was hard, really. We graded ourselves, you know, uh, on a scale of one to 10, then we aggregate the grades and we'd
1: come up with an airshow grade that was typically around a seven to mm-hmm. eight. You know, somewhere there.
4: Sometimes as low well as
1: a six. God, that soft critique has got to be important though. I'll tell you improve really and keep important. doing them better.
4: Really important. It was really important for safety, you know, the, because sure. we spent so much time focusing on that, details and stuff. That was a real element of our safety.
2: No room for complacency when you're eight inches apart from each other, right? Uh, are there any other stories that you would like to share? Uh,
4: there were some fun stories like um, we were in Florida and our number three guy was this is world-class guy, this fabulous human being, his name is Clyde Callahan, Chris Callahan, but we called him Clyde. And um, his wife was pregnant. They had got married right as he joined the team. And his wife was pregnant, so we were, like, on standby. You know, we wanted Chris to be able to get home for the birth. And so we had just launched, and we got the word passed through Center, actually. that said, uh, you know, coming over, to, imagine this, you're flying along, and we would travel to and from, you know, in our, in our different formations. And um, we get the word through Center, and they say, hey, uh, Thunderbird 1, this is, I don't remember the Center, Houston Center. We just got word that Thunderbird 3's wife has gone into labor. Right. That came over the frequency. So uh, <laughs> we're like, all right, let's push it up. So we push the throttles up to the max cruise speed we could get without breaking the sound barrier. We're <laughs> calling ahead to get the tankers in to come in earlier because we're using more fuel now. We need more fuel. So this whole thing was like just a real ordeal for us to get there as fast as we could, you know, and get the fuel set up and get everything set up. We called ahead and had cars there waiting on them to take them in the hospital. So we land. And we usually have this elaborate. We fly over to let the Nellis know we're home, and there's people out watching. Usually the arrival, and we do a little walk down and shake hands and all that. Like no, cancel all the arrival stuff. So we come in and we land and get Clyde taxied up there. You know, out of formation as I remember, on his own, he taxis up, he shuts down, the cars waiting for them, we zoom him over to the hospital. He's there in his Thunderbird show suit, still, and made it in time for the delivery of his of his first child. So. You know, that awesome. kind of stuff is just priceless. You know, those memories are yeah. really, really fond for us.
2: That's so sweet.
4: That's so awesome.
2: I love our different reactions. Um, so <laughs> moving forward a little bit after the Thunderbirds, as um, so how did you get involved with the AOPA?
4: So after I left the Air Force, I went to work for a company called EDS, uh, Electronic Data Systems, Really, that was uh, started by Ross Perot. And uh, Rossborough and uh, EDS was bought by Hewlett-Packard. So when I left uh, the Air Force, I worked for EDS and Hewlett-Packard for 12 or 13 years. And I would fly GA, you know, in and around that time period. Somewhere in there, I was I really began missing aviation. And so I started uh, reaching out, looking for opportunities that, that there might be available. And my first thought was I really wanted to come to work for AOPA because... You know in aviation in general aviation aopa is really um such a well-respected organization and what it's done to protect flying i mean i was very well aware of that joined you know many many years ago and so um i really wanted to i really wanted to be part of, of aopa because I, I knew it's work i would enjoy and so i started calling over and um it took a while you know there were it's, it just took a while, and I think eventually I like to joke with Mark Baker, our president. I think I just wore him down. You know, I think at some point he said, "Oh my God, just give the guy a job, get him off my back." So um, <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, they, the safety job came open. AOPA thought that was a good fit, and uh, and it worked. Yeah. So um, you know, it finally worked where they had a position that seemed just lined up with, with some of my background. And I always felt like the experience that I had working in industry with EDS and then HP was really beneficial to me in terms of just managing a business and running an organization. Um, Mark Baker, the president here, is has had senior positions in major corporations, CEOs, and you know those kind of roles. And so he was was and is still looks for that kind of experience and that kind of mentality when you're when you're running an organization. So I think that really helped me. Um, and sure enough, you know, that's a, that's a part of what we do here. We're stewards of the members' money and the members' priorities. And, you know, we, we, we take that pretty seriously. Yeah. You know, sometimes people will make a mistake. They'll be like, I think I'm going to retire from my job and I'm ready to slow down a little bit. So I thought I would call AOPA and we're like, dude, this isn't the place for you. If you don't want <laughs> to slow
1: down.
4: this is not a slow down and semi-retire kind of the place. You know,
1: yeah.
2: It's not a Piper Cub. This is an F-15 organization. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, well. yeah. Bring that analogy back, Maddie. Nice job. I'm
2: trying. Hey, Look, gotta to do something. So, yeah. <laughs> so how, what got you into the air safety Institute side of things?
4: Um, well, that's the, the opening that they had available. I had some background in safety, um, and uh, that's, that's really what brought me into ASI. Of course, I was very familiar with the work that ASI did. Most GA pilots are. Um, the reach that we have now is our material will be accessed around 10 million times a year. So we're on podcasts, we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Our sort of mantra is wherever, whenever, however you consume information, we want to be there with aviation safety information. So. We've been working really hard to modernize our message and the channels
1: of how we deliver that message. For those who are not familiar with the Air Safety Institute, most pilots are, but those who aren't, could you give us a little bit more more background of the Air Safety Institute and what you guys are about?
4: Yeah, so the Air Safety Institute was developed by AOPA about 60, maybe 62, 63 years ago It's a part of AOPA. Sometimes people confuse that. They think, oh, it's a separate entity. No, it's actually a part of AOPA. It's just like a department within AOPA. And our focus is on improving general aviation safety. So um, our board of directors has long believed that when AOPA first started, it was all about um, access, affordability, and safety. And really, everything we do still pretty much revolves around those three things we want to grow general aviation, we want to protect it and keep it safe. And so that's what that's what the Air Safety Institute does. And our role inside AOPA is to focus on the safety aspect of general aviation so that we can help grow it and help keep more people safe while they're enjoying this, this great thing.
2: So you talked about the primary focus of the Air Safety Institute. And I can tell, I'm sure Jim as well, we have been definitely affected in a positive way by what the air safety institute does on um, the content the content that you've done the content that um you guys just put out on um, whether it's a lot of the videos i think are the most um well um known by a lot of the pilots the Dang. those videos that you guys put up on youtube i know you have kind of briefly talked about what the some of the services and the content that you guys have uh, what are some of your favorites or you think the the things that are most influential
4: Yeah, Maddie, you mentioned uh, video, and we made a move, oh, maybe five years ago, might have been a little more than that, to move really hard into video, because what we noticed was that's how people enjoy consuming information. They like storytelling, and they like to watch the people involved in it and see the faces and see, you know, airplanes and stuff. So we noticed that the consumption of our legacy material, like online quizzes and courses, and sort of the static material that once you make it, it just sits there on the web for people to consume. We noticed that that was declining at a rate three times faster than the population of the pilot. The pilot population was dropping, so we couldn't really blame that on the drop in pilot population at the time. We've since reversed that curve, and pilot population is growing. We thought, that's no, there's some other reason. We are no longer in sync with how people want to consume information. So we made a really hard push on video. We hired two videographers, um, and we have a couple writers on scene. We have six CFIs in the ASI shop itself. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been a real successful push for us is recognizing that's where the industry was going. And I'll tell you how you could learn this. I was teaching my son to fly. This is right before I came to AOPA. And uh, the way I learned to fly was I got my glime book. And before every flight, I would read whatever it was. And then I would go fly. So I sit down with my son. And I'm, we're briefing up the flight. And I said, hey, you know, tell me about the stall or tell me about, you know, whatever. And um, the glime book's right beside him. And I said, you can look in the book. So he pulls the book over and he opens it and I can hear the spine crack, which, as you know, is the sound you make when you, a book is first ever opened. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And the funny thing was Grant could talk about all the material that, you know, every flight he was ready. He was prepped. He knew it. He could talk through the numbers. He could talk through the skill and how to do it. But what I learned from that was he wasn't getting it from a book. He was getting it from YouTube and from the other sources that he would find on the web. And that really made an impression on me. And sure enough, we've seen that just wholesale throughout our in- industry. That's how newer pilots are consuming information.
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of industries right now that it's just a generational thing that I, it's such a visual society right now that they want to have that information yeah. in a video format. And especially now the shorter format, uh, we just talked, I don't know, last episode that we published was um, Tyler Lauer, who was working with UND's Aerocast, and they went to this three-minute Thursday approach of taking a hot-button issue within their school program and seeing, all right, people are having problems with this part of steep turns, and really digesting that one larger issue into one small, easily-to-consume video of three minutes
4: there's benefits uh to that in in my mind you know i i really have never never really been somebody that uh you know clings too much to the old ways we used to do things even when i was leading the thunderbirds it just just drive me nuts when people would say oh this is you know this is tradition this is how we've always done it i'm like oh, let me tell you what tradition is we fly with excellence safely that's the only tradition i'm interested in so um too much you know i some of that's a good thing. You know, it draws you back to your roots and your history, and some of that's good. But when it's used as a drag shoot and it's holding you back because it prevents people from thinking more creatively or trying to solve very difficult problems because you just take the easy road and, well, you know, it's tradition. It drives me nuts.
2: You kind of spoke just briefly about um, how ASI has kind of evolved over the years. Are there any other changes of note? And where do you see ASI going into the future with this in mind?
4: Yeah, that's a really good question, Maddie. Um So one of the changes we've made recently, and this is, again, is a shift in the whole paradigm for aviation. You guys have, and I certainly have, for the longest time we came up and we heard this sort of uh, mantra of uh, don't speculate, right? There would be an accident and people would start to talk about it and they go, "Nope, don't speculate, and I'll just wait on the investigation. There's still some importance to that. But what's changed now and what's updated the industry is now we have insight to so much more data than they had you know 20 or 30 years ago. We can see ADSB tracks and we often have video and we have the communications recording. So what you can do now is you can analyze this accident and the potential causes of the accident without calling it because you don't know enough to call it. You'll wait on the NTSB for that. But you can really help pilots understand what went on, and help them, you know. And we've done that with these videos we call early analysis. These are the potential elements of this accident and whether or not they caused the accident. It can remind us to get fresh on those on that information. That's been a huge success for us. I was really worried about doing that in the in the beginning uh, because I was worried about damaging the ASI brand and damaging AOPA. But it turns out people were really thirsty. For that, from a trusted source, and that's what we work really hard to try to to try to do. So one of the one of the new things we're doing these early analysis videos. In fact, we're doing one right now uh, where we try to come out within days of an accident to help people understand it.
1: I think you touched on something I was just about to ask you too with the early analysis of having it come from a trusted source because I I think that. You've got a lot of people in the YouTube space of "I'm going to make my name by in the aviation video space of," let's do an early analysis, and they're not always, I guess, up to par, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, I just, you know, I just caution people in anything you're doing, right, to be careful, do a little research on the people that you're listening to, right, the sources that are you're allowing to influence you. Just do a little research on them and and make sure that's it's. it's you know, the, the, the source is credible in your mind, so.
2: I think it's this, the part of speculation, and this is just my speculation on the speculation, is that, yeah, if you don't have all the facts, obviously don't make a determination, but even the NTSB has their preliminary report. It's, hey, we yeah. could have been it, like, this is what happened, and here's all the facts. And I think that's essentially what you're doing as well with those early early analysis videos. Yeah, we don't have everything, there's not a final conclusion yet, but at least We're looking at the facts and not just speculating based on one thing.
4: Yeah, we try to do that. We try to say, you know, here's here's the facts that we know right now. And (laughs) these facts could change, by the way, because sometimes you had bad data or sometimes you get more data. So our understanding of the facts could change. But regardless, based on these facts, here's the things that this accident brings up. And these are the (laughs) places where the NTSB is likely going to go look. That's what we try to do. We try to be very careful not to say, make it the cause is known, or what we th- even think is the cause. Um, we're just trying to help satisfy people's interest and their curiosity. And selfishly, in safety, your biggest issue is always reaching people because a lot of people fall asleep halfway through the word safety. Yeah. So you can take your interest in this accident and you can pivot it to give them a safety message while they're satisfying their interest in this accident.
2: Absolutely. And I think if it was just what you guys did just early analysis, you know, you could say, oh, well, you're, you know, just making speculations. But you also have your main videos, which are talking about the accidents in full and using all of that information. And that's poignant enough. But having the early analysis videos paired with those, I think, brings it and makes it very well routed and kind of takes the mystery out of what the ntsb is doing almost because you know you can read through a report and if it's if it's anything larger than like you know a a light twin good luck it's you know 50 pages long and it's full of jargon that you may not be familiar with i think you putting it not only just in video format but in a digestible format for pilots and non-pilots alike is so important and really affects the safety aspect of ga very positively
4: Oh, thanks, man. I'm really, really happy to hear you say that because that's what the team works hard to do. And to your point, the accident case studies are the full-blown videos where the NTSB report has come out. And now we can lean into that a little harder with this is what the NTSB said was the cause. And let's flush out some more of these factors a little bit. And those are still the most popular videos we do. They're hard to do. Mm -hmm. They take a long time. You have to wait till the NTSB finishes, which can be up to two years. Yeah. They're getting better, but still can be up to two years. That's still the most popular thing that we do. Those are watched millions of times a year.
2: You can really tell the amount of time and effort that you guys put into those. And it's, it doesn't go unnoticed. So very, Bob, I just that. want to commend you. I know you're, you probably know you're doing a great job, but you, from a long time listener and viewer, you, you guys are doing oh, a great nice thing. nice to hear.
4: And I, I'll pass that on to the team. You know, I, I, joke all the time because i I introduce people on the team and what they do you know people say well what do you do so well mostly i'll go around travel around and take credit for all the hard work that they do that's what i do mostly so (laughs) thanks i'll pass that on
2: so any are there any new initiatives that that you guys are in the works you you said you were on tiktok which is very fun um are there any other areas that you're looking at stuff that's becoming more apparent that Um, people are seeking interest in that you're wanting to explore with the Air Safety Institute? Mm,
4: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So um, the path that we would like to go down now is we have uh, Rob Geske, who is our research armor, a research and analytics. I like to joke with Rob, you're the manager of our research and analytics department. He goes, I'm I'm one guy. Yeah, you're you're the department. So, you know, you got to manage yourself. But um, he's really good uh, really good with data. And so what we're trying to do is move more into big data analytics. A while ago, we worked with UC Davis, and we're now working with MITRE. And we're trying to be able to mine some of the ASRS reports uh, that come out. There's some 1,500 ASRS reports that are issued by GA pilots every month. and But NASA doesn't have the funding to really dive through those reports to use them in a predictive manner. MITRE thinks they can help us do that. So we're trying to figure out, with all these reports we're ingesting, can we figure out some problems before they occur? Like, for example, if a pilot on a departure uh, misses an altitude flying out of San Jose, Okay, a single pilot misses an altitude restriction. Okay, you know, pilot error. If three pilots miss that same altitude restriction in a month, okay, there's something about that procedure that is difficult for pilots. So if we could could find that kind of data, and I know it's there, I know it's somehow in all those uh, ASRS reports, and I think MITRE is going to help us be able to find that. So that's probably the biggest new initiative we have is being able to do that kind of predictive analysis on where our next safety issue might occur.
2: I think that's fabulous.
4: I'm
2: I'm trying to do more reports myself just because it is something I know can be used for good. I remember I almost got in an accident one time. It was it was ATC error. They cleared us to cross the runway tower cleared somebody to take off. Whoops um and my instructor told me I was like should I file something he said no don't don't stir the pot really these reports I know they can be very valuable and I think if more people knew that we'd get a bigger stretch of data from that I think when you guys start doing something like that and if you make that public like hey you know if there are these issues you should report them because it is actually being used because most people think well it's it's just a report oh well like it'll cover me but it's really not, if it wasn't a big deal, it wasn't a big deal. But I think it really could be a big deal before it becomes a safety issue. Big deal.
4: Yeah, Maddie, you're so right about that. It it um, it's not calling somebody out. It's not ratting somebody out. The reason mm-hmm. why this system is run by NASA is so that it's away from the FAA, and NASA can de-identify all the information. So by law they cannot use those reports for enforcement action they've never mm-hmm. tried to they be in the FAA so all you're doing when you issue that report is helping the system I, I'm, I'm such right. a big believer in those reports like if you have any doubt in your mind issue a report it's it, it's not going to mm-hmm. hurt you it could potentially help you a lot of people think it's a get out of jail free card right the ASRS reporting system Definitely. it can help but it's not designed that way right it's it's really designed for helping us See problems in the system.
2: Sure.
1: Oh, oh I think that's. Yeah, I like what you guys are doing and taking this data and making it more of a proactive approach at looking at it. If that's successful, that could be a really great thing for aviation.
4: Yeah, we'll come back and do another one of these podcasts. If we are, it'll probably be you know a year before we can figure out how to use these tools and what they might be able to tell us. But I'm excited about. it. It's kind of like. You know, what what I've mentioned to people is that I don't know what this data is going to tell us, but I cannot imagine all this data is going to tell us nothing. Right? There's there's gold in there. We've just got to go figure out how to mine
1: it. Absolutely. Well, that'll be exciting. I love that. Anything else sure. you wanted to cover on um air safety institute? And then I'll let Maddie talk again. A podcast. Can I talk about our podcast? Real Absolutely.
2: Quick? Oh yeah, please do.
4: One of the more popular items we have is a podcast. Uh, We run a podcast called There I Was. It's free on Apple or iTunes Uh or Spotify podcast. And uh, we started this about maybe five years ago. We do one a month and it's just pilots that come in and I host it and they tell us a story of a bind they got in and sort of how they got out of it. Um, It's storytelling. Again, same kind of concept, storytelling, pilots telling their own stories And that podcast has been a really effective means for us. It's been downloaded more than 4 million times. So, if you're a podcast listener, give us a listen, download it, tell us what you think.
1: We know a couple of podcast listeners. We give me a point from your direction. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you might. We did. Just a few.
2: (laughs) Well, Jim, is it time?
1: I think it is time. Do you want to uh, take the reins on this, man? Oh,
2: my God. I would love to. Mr. McSpadden, what yes. is your aviation unpopular opinion?
4: My aviation unpopular opinion. Um, my unpopular opinion is probably that I support the 1,500-hour requirement before I'm going to buy You know, I, I understand the people that say hours aren't everything. There's more to it. There's more quality in the training. You need. I get that, and I agree with it but i don't i don't think it's either or let's put the quality in the 1500 hours we saw the ethiopian accident where the right you know the max issue you know that 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 can get very controversial but um in spite of all that was going on the pilot in the right seat had a total of 380 hours total flying hours um and i just think there's value in being in a cockpit even if it's a small airplane where you're flying the airplane and dealing with issues that Come up when you're flying, whatever you're for. I think there's a lot of value in that experience, and so until I hear of a better way that we're going to make up for the experience you get in flying for 1,500 hours, I'm a fan of the 1,500 hour all the quadrants. fan. I don't know, but I support it because I don't see a better. I don't see a better way.
1: That's a pretty spicy one. That, that's a new one for us.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Nobody's dared touch it yet. You're right. However,
1: <laughs> it. It, but it makes sense, because you <laughs> do um, run the Air Safety Institute, so it, it is a oh, yeah. definite safety consideration. Yes. I just, there's value in the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sound like a knucklehead here in a second, but I, I think that there's certainly value in like every experience that you have. You're making a deposit into that bank of training, and when you need to make a withdrawal, you better hope you've got the experience to back it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: It's very true. You know, there's... Um... There's that old saying, you know, that says uh, when you get into a crisis, um, what is it? You, you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to fall back to your training or well, not. Mm-hmm. I, I just, just
0: believe that to be true. Yep,
4: absolutely. I agree.
2: Well, thanks for playing along. We we really appreciate you having, coming on the podcast. I know it's been a little bit of a fight, but it was really wonderful having you on.
4: Yeah, I'm glad we got it done. Well, let's, <laughs> let's do it again. Give us some time see if we can get something out of this big data initiative that we got going on. If we do, I'd love to come back and share some of that with you.
1: you Yeah, we would love to have you back for that. Oh, Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll uh, look forward to trying to bring you back here in the future.
2: Well, thank you so much, Mr. McSpadden, for coming on and joining us on this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast.
1: Super fun, super informative. Super awesome. I really think it's cool that we might be able to get him back in the future.
2: That would be very cool. I'm really excited to see what Air Safety Institute does in the future, and I would be really excited to talk with him again. He was really, yeah, i lost all words, apparently. Uh, I'm speechless.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mr. McFadden was actually excellent to talk to, very engaging, and he's clearly had just oodles of experience and is still very excited about aviation, and that's awesome to see.
1: I just think it's cool that they're investing some time and energy into those NASA reports so that they can to do something proactive with that data rather than just these reports being filed and and who knows what happens with the information. So I hope that is something they can have come to fruition, and I'd love to talk to them. Sounds like Operator ear.
2: So, Jim, what do we have in store for next episode?
1: Oh, 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 what do we have in store for next episode? We have the AirVenture calling Extravaganza. Spectacular.
2: Yeah, Last year we did this. It was so much fun. And we got to have all y'all on. And it was very, very fun. So please, again, a reminder, if you would like to be on the Spectacular this year, please let us know. But obviously you will have one day from the release of this five <laughs> right. episode. But Act if fast. you're listening and you want to, please, this is your reminder. Please do it. Put it in your calendar. Let's go. We want to do it.
1: Yeah, Let's we go. We record... On July eleventh, and we are super excited to bring some of the folks on that we're gonna to talk to and continue to get pumped for Air Venture. I just felt like making a an noise. The... <laughs> that, I... And that's what you went with.
2: All right. I didn't know it was gonna come out of my mouth until it did. Okay.
1: That's how I make most of this podcast, but that was very unique.
2: Well, <laughs> In uh, in spite of my weird noises, if you would like to support the podcast as a whole and not just my weird noises, think about and perhaps contemplate and maybe ready your wallet and join the gang by ordering some merch or being a patron on Patreon.
1: You can find the merch on flyingmidwest.com forward slash merch and the Patreon is down in the show notes. Uh, and remember for our patrons, you get exclusive bonus content such as my CFI journey blogs and Maddie's early flight date blogs. So check it out. We really appreciate your support,
2: both listening, liking, subscribing, sharing us around, buy our merch, all the good stuff. Even if it's free, we still appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest on the Flying Midwest podcast, send us an email at flyingmidwestpodcast at gmail.com or on any of our social medias on Instagram or on Facebook.
1: So that will be it for this episode of the Flying Midwest podcast. Until next time... Sir. zip. Flight 536 contact Minneapolis Center 132.35 today.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. Until next time. Podcast service terminated. Squawk VFR. Frequency change approved. Good day.
2: I uh, almost didn't remember my own name. When introducing myself to somebody the other day, so what name were you, you going to use? I just blanked. I'm like hi, I'm Jessica. I'm like hi, I'm Maddie. Like I made it up.
1: She's like, <laughs> like you made. But, like I don't want to give this person my real name. What is a good fake one? And then you came up with just your you name. Know, it's... So I saw some neat Air Force stuff. God bless America. That wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh.
2: Have we doing... Sorry. That was a little dramatic. Well, thank you guys (laughs) again for coming on and joining us on this episode of the Fighting Midwest podcast.
1: What'd you say? I coughed through it. (laughs) (laughs) I coughed through what you were saying.
2: Trying to transition anything into something, and I realized I didn't really have a transition, so I stopped.
1: Okay. Are you going somewhere with this like 100 years of air refueling history?
2: No. I you said you were going to talk about it. So I was oh. going to try to transition for you because you're like I don't know where to go. So I said, "Okay, I'll try it."
1: Oh, uh, okay. God, we're doing terrific tonight.
2: Oh my god. But we're here's struggling. but on
1: the positive note, bloopers. I'm sorry. I must be on goofballs I'm acts. I'm sorry.
2: I can't keep I'm sorry.
1: Up. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
2: I like the people who are sorry. like where are you from? Are you from Kansas? I'm like, do I sound like I'm from K-?
1: It sounded for a I second. I both not. Could you say about? Boot. Okay, so decided that welcome to this. the Flying Canada podcast with Maddie.
2: Yeah, for real.
1: <laughs> Is So the people in in Kansas don't like the people in Missouri. Correct. Just like the people in Minnesota don't like the people in Wisconsin, except yes. for Badger Pilot yep. and um, the Flying Stampede. We're cool with those people. Everyone else is questionable. Yep. Okay. That's
2: exactly how it is. Thank
1: you. Maddie,
4: I'm curious. Did you do the course we did where it was interactive and you could go in and select different decisions and it would take you down a path? And if you kept selecting the wrong decision, you would crash. But the dog survived. Remember that one? Yeah. We, we have a bunch of dog lovers in ASI and we're like, no matter what, the dog survives. The
2: dog survives. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do remember I guess to survive.
4: We deal with a pretty serious topic, and of course, we mm-hmm. can give it the amount it deserves. But we still have a little bit of fun doing it.
2: Oh, oh, whoa! Just hold on, sorry, Mike
1: Peters like dying. I have to play. Plug it in. I'm trying. This, this is not the first time we've had this problem, Maddie.
2: No, but last time it was plugged in and it wasn't like plugged into the outlet,
1: so oh. I didn't notice.
2: That was exciting.
1: And remember that when we remind. <laughs> uh, wow, I like started choking in my spit halfway nice. through what I was saying.
2: <laughs> Can you say <laughs> I was make weird? Noises?
1: That was weird.
2: Um, Yikes, I can't talk. So I listen to the, the Brian Turner
1: episodes more than the others. I just Are play them not. on repeat for the weeks after they come out. When I think it's been too long between times that Brian's posted videos, I'll listen to one of our Barber podcast. Fill that void of Brian Turner in my life. <laughs>